We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning if you want to turn there. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, uh, for, for the blessing that you have given us to be able to gather together. As we heard this morning, as, as Randy taught, the great blessing that the church is, and I thank you that my heart just enjoys being around your people. Father, I pray that our fellowship this morning would be sweet to you. I pray that our worship to you is is sweet and honoring to you. And God, as we examine the scripture, as we hear a word from you, Lord, that you would that you would honor that and that we would honor you in that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is there, a, is there a little bit of an echo or is this just the monitors I'm not used to? Okay. As long as it's not bothering you. Um, okay, in First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 4, starting with verse 7. And it depends on God's leading and how far we go this morning. But in, starting in verse 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, or, or be self-controlled and sober-minded sober for the sake of your prayers. Now, when you look at <laughs> that, y'all heard that, right? It's not just me. <laughs> okay, when you look at what he's saying here with the end of all things, there's some differences of opinions on what exactly that could mean. With the time that that's being written, the destruction of Israel or the destruction of the temple was just right right there at hand. And so he could have been talking about that, but I think it's actually applicable in all the different ways you can look at that. Um, it could be the end of your life. As Peter's talking to this group of people, remember the entire book up to this point has been dealing with persecution. And the persecution at this time was probably as bad or worse than it had ever been, with Nero being in charge, uh, basically putting Christians to death. So he could have been talking about that. And he also could be talking about the end of the age, which we are facing today. Um, And I know it's been a long time ago, but when you look at the grand scheme of things in God's time, the age is nearing quickly, and Peter was certainly talking about that. The persecution, Peter, as he's talking about the end of all things is at hand, the persecution was coming. It was there upon them, just as Jesus had said it would, would be and said it, said it was. And so the gospel was spreading quickly at this time as well, because as Peter is writing this letter, what was Paul doing? Paul's traveling through Galatia, establishing churches. In, and when you think about the trips Paul took and how fast churches were established and how quickly the gospel was spreading, it was obvious that that was God's direct plan was to spread the church in the way he was. And that, so it was obvious that that was happening for the purpose of 
all things to be fulfilled. And it's been happening ever since then. Um, So as we look at this as it applies to us, do you feel like the end is near? Does anybody look around and think the end of all things is at hand? Whether it's our lives, because I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't even remember how old I am now, 36? (laughs) Once you get past about 25 and you get that insurance break, it just doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, but, but really, where did it go? I mean, I look at Kyle sitting here and I can remember, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like very long ago I was heading off to college. I mean, it's just that quick. And you young people, Kyle, I know you think it's going to be forever before you get done with that. Trust me, enjoy it because it's not. It's going to be over with. You're going to be an adult before long. Our lives are fleeting, right? that one working okay so it's temporary right all of this that we're looking at our lives the end of our lives are nearing regardless of how that life ends but as persecution as we're preparing for persecution in this country as peter has prepared us and i believe it's god's directive that we go through this book to prepare for that it could come to the point where the end of the things as we know it are ending Right, and, there, and it's actually happening before our eyes. Our country, as we know it, is not the same as it was 20 years ago. It's not the same as it was when I went to college. It's changing quickly, and it's going to change even more quickly. As Randy mentioned this morning, we need to pray for our country with these elections and everything that's going on. I can't see any way through this election that there's not major change especially for us as Christians. So the persecution is coming, and it could be that um, our way of life, as we know it, is also coming. So thinking about that, to think about the end is near of whatever it is, the change that's coming, the persecution that's coming, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? Because this world is fading fast. Regardless of where you are on the planet, it's, it's fading fast. This age is coming to completion, and Christ is going to return soon. And so, young women and young men, I know it seems like you have forever. It seems like you have your youth, and you can say, when I get a little older, then I'll serve Christ. I remember thinking that way. I was an unbeliever. And I thought, when I get older, then, I, then I'll probably serve Christ. Because I was raised in church. And I knew what was right. I knew that there was a way that I should go. But I didn't want to do it because I thought I had time. I thought I had time to sow my wild oats, as, as they say. Listen, there is no time for that now. Time is fleeting. You do not have, you do not have a promise of tomorrow. John Piper said, if you believe that, you have played the part of the fool. You've believed the lie of Satan if you feel like you have time to, to 
eat, drink, and be merry now and serve Christ later. Listen, that is a, that is a, that is a lie from hell. Turn to him. Serve him now while you can. Now listen, sober-minded does not mean that we have to walk around like monks in some sort of trance all the time, lighting candles and humming or something. That's not what it means. It means to be serious. It means to be serious when it comes to the things of God. When it comes to the Scripture, we're to look at it sober-minded. When it comes to gathering together to worship, it means that we should be sober-minded. We should be serious. There should be a seriousness. Randy talked about how you go to these conferences, and there may be a thousand people there, and everybody's mingling. It was a great example. And somebody comes up to the front and opens his Bible, and everybody... And it it says, let's pray. And there's an honor. And people realize that and recognize that. And that's how we should be. And I believe that there's there's churches, and it's kind of hard to use that term after this morning, there's there's, um, buildings and gatherings of God's people who have lost sight of that, the sober-mindedness, the seriousness. You know... I mean, you can, and I don't mean to get off on this, but there, I, I saw a video, it's been several years ago, of a, a young man, I say young man, he was a kid, getting baptized. And his pastor, I think it may have been his dad, I'm not sure, but he was down in the baptistry, it was a nice baptistry in a church, and you can see the pastor in there or whoever's baptizing him. And then all of a sudden the kid jumps in from the side and does a cannonball into it. Have you all seen that video? What has happened to our faith? What has happened to our belief? And, then, I mean, it, I'm sure that the church, you know, I mean, it, it's that, that particular congregation, I mean, I don't know anything about them. But I can read the comments and I can see people like, oh, that's so funny, ha, ha, ha. Listen, I like a practical joke. I like to cut up. If you know me, you probably know that. I will cut up when it's time to do that. But when it's time to be serious and the oracles of God is that time. When we stand before a congregation to preach the word, it's time to be sober-minded. When you are sitting to hear the word preached, it's time to be sober-minded. And the the ordinances of God, the Lord's Supper, baptism, those things, obviously, it's time to be sober-minded. So it doesn't mean that we're, we're like a zombie walking around, but it does mean that, that we, when it comes time, we get serious. And, and we go about our business in a serious way. But with our kids, we can laugh and we can play. You know, and we're we're friendly to people. We, we, it's okay to smile. Being sober-minded doesn't mean you don't smile, right? It doesn't mean that you you don't have a good time. Enjoy the creation that God has given us. Enjoy the fact that He's given us a day of life. We should like that. We should be happy about that. But there's a seriousness that we have to keep in mind. We have to keep this kind of in the back back of our mind. The end is near. The end is near. Uh, Henry Morris, I don't know if you guys know who he is. He is a uh, probably the father, if you will, of creation science, um, or at least one of them. 
but he had a saying. I think he had a sign in his office or in his house or something, a, a deal hanging on the wall, and it said, perhaps today. And that's how we should live our life. We should live our life, perhaps today Christ returns. Perhaps today. And we can do that with joy, because if he, I mean, if, and if we're right with God, we can have all the joy in the world in that perhaps today he returns. And we can also have a seriousness in that there's lost people around us every day, and for them it is a very serious and sad thing that perhaps today. So we should keep that in mind as we move forward. And he says, at the end of the verse, he says, for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers, be sober-minded, be serious. For the sake of your prayers, look at Luke twenty-one, thirty-six. Peter connects the nearness of the end with the need for prayer. Jesus said on the same topic, Luke twenty-one, thirty-six. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of God. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of God. The prayer is not that God would remove us from the persecution that comes with the end. That's not the prayer. I think John 17, he says... Don't take them out of this world. Leave them here. So the prayer is not, that, that's not what he's talking about with the escape. We don't need strength for him to remove us and to escape us from all of that. No, what, what, what we do need escape from is from temptation that we would give in to the stress of the end time events. 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's what he's talking about, that we need to pray. Peter says that for the sake of your prayers, we should be sober-minded. As we see these end times coming, whether it's in the end of your life, the end of the age, the end of the world, It's all coming together. It's all happening while we're alive right now. And as we see that, we're to be sober-minded, we're to be serious, and we're to spend time in prayer for that. Prayer for ourselves, prayer for our brothers and sisters that we would not give in to temptation. And trust me, we need it. That we would not give in to persecution. That when they put a gun to my head, I would not recant Christ. And worse than that, when they start attacking our families. You know, Wednesday night, Ronnie talked about the gift of singleness and how one of the, the benefits of that was when persecution comes, it's just you. Because I feel like I would be able to take it much better if it's me than it would be if, if it's my kids. Right? I mean, isn't that... Isn't that true so we need to pray we need to pray that we would not be tempted to fall into those temptations to fall into a weakness to give in to the world when it comes to to persecution and then he goes on in verse 8 he says above all 
Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You'll hear that one quoted a lot. But what does it mean? He says, above all, the the most important thing in all of this, the most important thing that I think we get from Peter is that we should keep loving one another. We should come together as Christians and love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. John said in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I could go on and on with Scripture after Scripture. We could spend hours upon hours talking about not only love for the world and love for the lost. We're we're to have that. We're to have compassion and preach the gospel to them. But how important is, is it for us as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as, the, as a family of believers, to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul said, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You've been taught by God. That's his desire. The Holy Spirit living in you when you don't show love for other believers, for his other children, it grieves him. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Father. It grieves Jesus when he doesn't see that. John fifteen twelve, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He repeated it again. If you have kids, you can understand this. There's nothing worse than when your kids are fighting with each other. It grieves you as a parent when they're just at each other. There's also very few things that are more joyful than when you see them getting along, playing together, laughing. Or when you see one of them helping the other one. Or it, I have three I see my older children helping the younger one. There's nothing more precious as a dad. Well, how much more is that with God? How much more is that with our Heavenly Father when He sees His children helping one another, encouraging one another, loving one another? And why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. The effect of love, it's an amazing thing. The effect of love is that we can still fellowship in spite of sins. Not that we cover up each other's sins. No, that's not not what he's saying. It doesn't mean that we cover them and just ignore them or that we condone or encourage somebody in their sins. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's actually the contrary. We would help recognize our sins and we help each other overcome these sins By how? By working through them, by praying through them, by by helping with advice, by just living in a way that we're close enough that I can can tell you something and and you might get upset, but you realize that it's because of the love that 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 sin would even be pointed out. 
But the amazing thing is, once you get to know each other's real character, once you get to know each other, how, how you really are, the real me, I can put on a, I mean, I, you, you see me on my best, you know, I get cleaned up and I come up here, but when you see me at my worst, or when I see you at your worst, or when you see each other at the worst, you still love and fellowship and work together. The love that he's talking about here, he's talking about the covering up of sin. This love, it takes away the critical spirit that we so often find in ourselves. Do you have that issue? Do you sometimes find yourself being critical of others' sins? I do. But then when you think and you point back to the love that Peter's talking about here, when you point back, Christ said, as I have loved you, love one another. Now listen, Christ, Jesus was perfect. And we were not. We are not. We're very unlovely. We're very unlovable, especially when you look at it through the eyes of a holy God. But he still loved us. And he's saying, as I loved you, love one another. Listen, that love that Jesus bestowed on us should easily flow out of us to others. It should easily allow us to overlook. Not that I would say overlook it as in condone it, but to rise above the sin. Because here's the problem. Whatever sin you're seeing in other people, you have in yourself. It may not be the exact same thing, but trust me, we're all in the same fleshly body and we're all struggling with different issues. And so to to live together and to take away that critical spirit. But it all ties back to verse 7, right? For the sake of your prayers. How do you do this? How do you overcome this critical spirit? How do you love one another in a way that, that can overcome this sin it's by prayer it's by prayer it's praying for those people i've found and i I fail in it so often but i have found when i start to struggle with the brother or a sister in christ i think and, and i get critical i'm inclined to do that but when i do that if i'll stop and think usually i have not prayed for that person or at least haven't prayed for them enough And the more time you spend in prayer for that person, the more that critical spirit starts to fall away. Because it's true. Because what happens is you're praying for somebody and you're dealing with this. I mean, it may be a particular sin that you just can't stand. There's some things that just, they they irk us because we didn't deal with that particular one. It's amazing. I'm more compassionate on the sins that I struggle with. But when somebody's struggling with a sin that I don't particularly struggle with, I'm not very patient. But as I pray for that, it's happened time and time again. God starts to reveal to me the things I am lacking, the things I am doing. And as, I, as he opens those up to me, suddenly the critical spirit, the things that I'm critical of start to shrink. And mine start to magnify and it causes repentance. And as that repentance comes, then that love is increased for that brother or sister who you're praying for. So prayer is extremely important to prepare us 
so that we wouldn't fall into the temptation of the end times, that we wouldn't fall into temptation of the persecution. And also it's extremely important that we would overcome this critical spirit, this critical attitude towards our fellow believers. Why? Because we need those fellow believers desperately so that we wouldn't fall into the temptation of the persecutions. You see how God works all this together? You see how, I mean, it's so, it was so fitting that Randy taught this morning about the church and how blessed we are to have this gift of the church and how needful it is right now. Forget about the future when persecution gets worse. We need each other now. And 1 Peter 4, 9, as he goes on, well, what do we do with this? How do we move on with this? He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So in times of stress and persecution, what is this love that he wrote about in verse 8 going to look like? What's it going to look like? Hospitality. The definition of hospitality is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. It comes from the Greek word. It's actually a, two words put together, philos and xenos, which means to literally love strangers. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, Peter's writing in context of Christians here, though, to love one another. But listen, we don't know all Christians. I really believe there's a time coming when Christians coming through town, the only safe place they may have is your house. It's that way in other countries. It's that way in a lot of other countries. If you're a missionary and you go to certain parts of the world, the only way you're going to survive is for an unknown Christian to take you in. That's a stranger as far as we don't know them, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's an amazing thing as, as, as persecution gets hotter, as times get more difficult the dividing lines between Christians will start to fall more and more. And I look forward to that. Don't you look forward to a time when somebody says they're a Christian, you just believe them, and you can act immediately like a brother or sister? Shouldn't it be that way already, though? Shouldn't it be that way already? But we need each other. And we need to share our lives, our homes, and our gifts with one another. It will become more and more important, but it's extremely important now that we do this. It's extremely important that you spend this time. As you spend time in prayer for somebody, the other thing that I've found is the more you get to know somebody, the more the things that bother you about them start to kind of become less important. You might find out why they have a particular problem. You might find out what's driving that and and you might find out that they know they have that problem and they're extremely working working to try to get over it well doesn't that make it more compact doesn't that give you more compassion but we should have a desire we should have a desire to see christ magnified in the way that we interact with each other and with other believers so i want you to think about that this morning i want you to think about Gifts that you have, things that has been given to you in a way that you can bless the people sitting around you with it. You've been given a home? Invite people over. You've been given the gift to cook? 
Use that for God's glory. Cook a meal for somebody. Have them over. You've been the the music. Uh, very thankful for our musicians. You have this gift of music. Find a way. Pray for a way. Ask God for a way to utilize that to edify, to build up the body of Christ. And it may not always be. And here's the other thing I would say: look for a way to do it, not just here. Some, some of those are obvious, but look for a way to use your gifts out there, in your home, in your, in your jobs, in your neighborhoods. Find a way to be hospitable. That is, that is one of the most, I think, underused evangelistic tools that we have. Bringing people in. And this is not, so, so not only for fellow believers but also for the unbelievers. Be hospitable to them. Help them. If you have a, if you have a, a mechanical gift, there's always somebody needing some help working on their car or their lawnmower. You know, or, or I don't know. You, you guys know the gifts that you have, and you're thinking of some right now. And I, I would just ask that you would pray for God to reveal a way that you could use that to build up the body, and to reach the lost. Then going on to verse 10. 10 and 11, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this goes right along with hospitality, right? It goes right along with that. You have gifts, use them. Uh, the list could go on for hours, right? On the list, on the, on the gifts that you have, the ways that you could utilize them in your homes and your neighborhoods, the way that you could utilize them for the glory of God. Are you doing that? Are you finding ways to do that? I pray, I pray that you are. And that's going to be my prayer, is that I would find ways to utilize gifts outside of this building. And it's going to be my prayer that you, each one, would find ways um, to utilize those gifts. Now go on to verse 12. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The fiery trial is is obviously representative of the trials in this world caused by the wicked one, caused by Satan. Turn to Ephesians 6. I'm just going to read from verse 10 down to 16. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
Stand therefore, having girded up your waist in truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which with you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do not be surprised that we're in these trials. Paul talked about it very clearly in Ephesians, and he gives us the tools to fight against it. Peter's saying here, don't be surprised when this comes. The fiery darts of the wicked one are going to come. He's talking about arrows. He's talking about flaming arrows falling down from the sky. They would come out of nowhere. If you could see them, it would be a lot easier to fight against them. That's why your shield had to be large. Right? The Roman shield was big. It wasn't a little bitty shield. It was, it was tall. had a little bit of curve on the top to help predict, pr- protect against these fiery darts. They're going to come out of nowhere. These trials that we face, they seem like you're just walking along and you get blindsided all the time, right? Whether it's physical, whether it's health, whether it's financial, or whether it's persecution, There's all kinds of things going on to try us. And he says, don't be surprised. And I think, actually, if you think about what Peter was dealing with here, it actually looks very literal because Christians were actually being burned at the time. Nero was actually dipping them in like a tar or a wax and using their bodies as lamps. He would light them on fire. And they were also being blamed for the fire at Rome. So if you think about the trial that Peter is writing about here, and then we compare it to our trials, it makes us seem kind of petty, right? But nevertheless, our trials are still real. But he's saying, you're, you're in the midst of this terrible, horrible time. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't, don't act like you didn't see this coming. It is coming. Jesus said that those who are in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But thankfully to God, thankfully to Jesus, he has provided us with this shield of faith, right? Faith in Christ does away with all of the trials. I mean, it doesn't doesn't make them go away, but it puts a shield up there. And when the flames hit it, see the Romans, when they would have a shield, they would put... They had like a thick leather and then some, I don't know if it was wool or what kind of substance, but they would soak it in water. So when the flaming arrows hit it, they would just extinguish. So Because if not, the flaming arrow would stick in the wooden shield. The wooden shield would eventually burn up and then you're without a shield. But no, the Romans designed this one so that the flaming arrows, as soon as they hit it, would extinguish. Well, how much is our shield of faith? Whatever your trial is, think about your faith in Christ. Randy talked about it this morning. Death is overcome. There is no more death. It can't. I mean, what are you going to threaten a Christian with death? What happens? Our gift of salvation is magnified in death. You want to see how great salvation is? Die. That's how you find out just how great it is. We have a glimpse now. But in death, we see the whole thing. We get to see the whole glory of God. Think about that faith in that Christ who came out of that grave, who's still alive. And whenever the trials come, if you'll think on him, and you'll think on his success, you'll think on his victory, 
the, the arrows will be extinguished as they hit. And it's so important that we go through this together. The shields of the Romans were much more effective if they were locked together. That's what they did. They had a, they had a very efficient way of fighting. They would lock together, their shields would come together, and they were basically almost like a moving tank. Their, she, their shoes were like, had cleats. They were the first ones to do that. They would actually have shields over, shields in front, and it was almost unpenetrable. The shield was okay when you're by yourself, but when you're together, it was almost invincible. Well, our shield of faith, when locked with arms of other believers, is invincible. There is no arrow that can penetrate that. Satan cannot get through that and damage your faith. He doesn't have that ability. God, the, the gift of faith is from God. And so Satan can't take it away. He can give you trials. He can shoot arrows at you all day long. He can make, he can make you, I mean, he can make things painful in this life, but he cannot take away your faith. And so it's not strange. It's actually normal. If you're suffering trials, it's normal for a Christian to be under persecution. I think it was John Wesley was on a, was on a trip on his horse. And he was going from town to town. He would go from town to town preaching the gospel. And he, he, as he was going, he, uh, he was praying. And he, he got convicted that maybe he wasn't in the will of God. And he got off his horse and was praying. He was bowed down praying. And somebody saw him and recognized who he was and came up and tried to hit him in the head with a brick. Threw it at him and missed. And his prayer was, thank you, God, for this confirmation. The, per- the persecution. And, it, and so it's normal. It's normal. Look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So it's on the contrary. Do not be surprised. Do not be shocked. Do not be sad. But rejoice. Look at Acts 5. Verse 41. Let's, let's back all the way up to 33. I'm going to read this. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. I'm talking about killing the, the disciples, the apostles. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding to these men. But some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And listen to this. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles 
and beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now listen, when they beat people, it wasn't like a couple of hits. They beat them. They were going to try to deter them from preaching the gospel. But listen to what they did. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoice in our persecution. Is that easy? No. No, it's, it's actually impossible for your flesh to do. How did they rejoice that they were counted worthy? It was by the power of the Holy Spirit who was living in them, who is living in us, who is living in his, his chosen, in his children. And if that is the case, how honorable is it to suffer any kind of persecution for the name of Christ? Can we just remember that? And then what did they do? It says in 42, And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. No, you see, their shield extinguished those flaming arrows. You can beat them, and they rejoice in it. What is somebody going to do with those people? What are you going to do with when you're burning somebody at the stake and they're singing hymns to Christ? Well, it's like Randy said this morning, many times somebody watching is going to be converted. Many times somebody's going to go, wow, something, wow, what? And then God will move on their heart and he will bring them to faith in Christ. So rejoice that you can be counted worthy to suffer with Christ. And then in verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You're blessed. Young people, if, you're, if, you're, if other people make fun of you because you pray before you eat a meal, you're blessed. If, if anybody makes fun of us because we, we are pronouncing the name of Christ, Jesus said we're blessed. The world is going to mock you, and the world is going to try to pull you away from that, and the world is going to try to make you think that the world loves you, which is a lie. But Jesus says, Peter says here, that you're blessed if, you're, if you um, suffer that. And it's a testament that you're following close enough to Jesus that people will notice. If you're never mocked, if you're never ridiculed, if you're never, if there's never any kind of thing, it may be because you're not following close enough to him. And to take this in context with verse 9, take this in context with hospitality to one another, the persecution may not always be what you think. It may not come because you're standing on a corner preaching Jesus. It may not come because... You're standing up for truth. You're not because you're preaching the scriptures. No, it may come because you're being hospitable to somebody else. Have you ever thought about that? Your family or your friends will think it's strange if you entertain strangers. If a Christian comes through and you invite them into your home and you don't even know them, that will scare your kids' grandmas. That's a fact. They're going to be like, what? Who is it? 
you know, and, the, and there's a panic. Or it could be that you are believing in Christ when he says you're a new creation and there may be somebody who has done evil things in their past and you take them in. You bring them into your home. There's going to be people going, you're crazy, and they'll get mad. They'll think you're, they'll think you're being foolish and putting your family at risk and things like that. So it could be that you, you receive persecution over things like that. Or it could be that you were the, 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 the kid at school, the only one that, I mean, you're, you may be the only one that befriends a certain kid. It's the one that everybody else makes fun of, and you decide to step in to help them. It may not be at school. It may be at work. Maybe anywhere. I mean, this happens with adults, too. Sad, but it does. And when you befriend or, or come alongside that person, then you all of a sudden receive the same ridicule that they did. But you do it because you love Christ. And if you do that, you are blessed. If you receive persecution because of that, you are blessed. It also could deal with race, right? If you were raised in a racist home, and suddenly God reveals to you that there is no races, there's the human race, do you think you could have persecution? If you're raised in a racist home and now all of a sudden you are entertaining all these opposite races, yeah, that's going to bring persecution on you. And I don't care what race it is. It happens in all of them. All of a sudden God provides for you a spouse and it's not the race that you are. You think your parents aren't going to persecute you? think your siblings, unbelievers, past friends? Yeah. And that's for Christ. See, so the persecution comes in a lot of different ways when we walk with him. When we change our mindset, when we repent of our evil ways, persecution will come in many things. But Peter says, if any of this happens, the Spirit of God rests on you. The Spirit of God rests on you, and that makes you blessed indeed. And look, look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't bring this suffering on yourself. Live in a way that when you're, when you're suffering, it's because of righteousness and not because of your sin. Okay, and I've seen it happen. I've seen Christians, will, they'll be committing some sort of subtle sin and then this persecution comes and they try to act like they're being persecuted for Christ. Let's not get these lines blurred, okay? People lose their job because they were not showing up all the time. And then they're like, well, they just because I'm a Christian. No, no, no. That brings reproach on the name of Christ. If you're being persecuted for Christ, be blessed in that. Make sure that it's not because of your own sin. Make sure it's not because you're an evildoer or that you're a gossiper. That's what he's saying here. Don't. Don't bring this suffering on yourself. It's going to come on its own. And the other thing, as far as that goes, even the way that we present ourselves, I've seen people, especially on the street, evangelizing on the street, I've seen people that it's almost like they want to antagonize. 
They don't feel like they've done a good job unless they've had a fight. That's not our calling. The gospel message is offensive by itself. Let us not be offensive. We need to be loving and kind. And if the gospel offends, then so be it, because it will. But let us not be the one to do that. So be above reproach in all that we do in those things. And then verse 16, and I'll close. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So if it is truly because of Christ or because of your Christian convictions that you're suffering, do not be afraid. You have that shield of faith, and that's just the one piece of armor. You have the helmet of salvation. Your feet are shod with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the feet of the man who preaches the gospel. Do not be afraid. Stand strong. And listen, it's easy to stand and say these things right now. But when the trials come, when God gives you that gift of a trial, how you react may be the best chance you ever have to glorify the one who saved you. Keep that in mind. Let's all keep that in mind. We can glorify God. We can glorify him in the times when they're good. And I would certainly say we should do that. And we can glorify God in our trials. And it all goes back to God is in control. Do we trust in his sovereignty or not? You know, there's been, I think I had a conversation with Boyd yesterday. I had a conversation with Kobe yesterday. And they both attested to they were nervous or worried about something And basically it was because they didn't trust the sovereignty of God enough. And I think when you look at all of our worries, the anxiety, the anxiousness that we have, so many times that's what it is. We're not trusting the sovereignty of God. So I encourage each of us, each one of you, in your trials, whatever they are right now, whatever they are to come, to remember this. You can glorify God in that trial. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Lord, I, I thank you for your for your word. Thank you for your conviction that you give me through your word. God, I pray for this church. I pray for these believers who are gathered here today, Lord, that they would seek ways to use their gifts, that I would seek ways to use my gifts, that we would find ways to be more hospitable to one another and to other Christians who we have not yet met. God, that we would desire those relationships um, with other believers and that as trials come that we would, you would give us the strength through your spirit to glory in those, to rejoice in those and to point those trials to you, that you would get glory through them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.